0: Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today, we got a topic, which we haven't done in a while, man. It's been a minute since we've uh, done a topic, done anything but Q&As and interviews, um, so of course, as always, if you got questions, leave us some, you can click the link in the description, um, and drop us a question. There's a form there. You don't got to do anything except put your name. If you want, you can make up a fake name if you want to be funny and not be listed <laughs> on the podcast. And then you can just drop us a question or a topic in there. Um, uh, but today we want to switch things up and, uh, really like I've just been, uh, I mean, I think it's a, a result of me doing cardio as funny as that sounds because I start, Going through more DMs and like looking at stuff and emails, and I'm just like getting. I, I'm essentially starting more conversations with people because yep. I'm sitting on the fucking bike, yep. you know. And I'm just like going through Instagram, and uh, and funny enough, like so Joe's got here, right? And that's what I was doing, and then Bubba mm-hmm. went crazy, so I was like, all right, let me pause and get him in the office so she could actually work out. Dude, I almost lost my shit. Why?
1: Because
0: I walked in, uh, I, so I put him in there, came back, finished my like ten minutes, because uh-huh. I had like ten minutes left. Came back in there. I opened the door. He's got a Yeezy in his mouth. Oh. Oh, my God, bro. I lost my mind. And, like, the other (laughs) one was, like, I almost thought, like, at first, because at first I saw the other shoe. And you remember when people used to, like, reverse your shoelaces and tie them super tight? Yep. That's what it looked like because they were just pulled, like, crazy. And I was, like, did Travis come in here and fucking, like, reverse my shoelaces, like, in high school? Kind of like people used to turtle your backpack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I looked over, and I see him drop it and i was just like oh, oh. you motherfucker oh. Like, those are the wrong shoes to grab <laughs> the only like shoes i actually spend a good amount of money on yep it's like this fucking little shit thankfully they weren't damaging like he just basically tied them super tight somehow and then slobbered all over them oh, they were man. wet bro i was pissed <laughs> um anyway uh i was so so, so i've been on the the treadmill, the the bike, doing cardio, look through uh, Instagram stuff like that, and uh, I think that's added to this because I've just noticed a lot of shit that just irritates me. In the starting these
1: conversations with more more people, yeah, B. and just yeah.
0: people asking questions because they see things and they want my opinion on it, and then I start looking into things and I'm like, fuck, this is like being recommended, or this is being suggested. And then uh, a combination of that, uh, you know, I've been asked to speak at that event as well as do some, like, uh, different podcasts and, like, private um, uh, like That's consulting and stuff like that. Um, and that ends up kind of I, – I think I do a good. – I've always said, like, put your horse blinders on. I do a good job of just ignoring a lot of shit and just doing what I need to do for TCM, which is a good thing. But when you go out into the spaces to help other people, you start and seeing see other shit, you yeah. know, um, which is why, like, it's probably the reason why me and Brad have been talking about, and um, in, in, I'm pretty sure Jordan's going to be doing it with us as well, Jordan Syatt, but doing some kind of seminar, mm. calling it, like, the anti-mastermind mastermind, basically. Um you guys will hear more of that as, as we put together? Probably be in, like, the fall. But um, going to these things, I see more and more of it. Um, and then also doing like that podcast with Jackson and, and, you know, there's more people do, in the industry putting out content like us kind of standing against it, so to speak. Um, and so I've just had all these things on my mind and I'm like, you know, when we thought about, all right, we, we should do a po- uh, topic podcast. It's been a minute. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to write a few things down that just fucking have been driving me crazy, you know, inside the industry. So this, this episode might be a little bit blunt. Um, I'm going to be extremely, uh, upfront forthcoming transparent um real as i always am but um if i don't think it's going to offend anybody by any means and if it does it means that you're you're if it triggers you you might be doing things wrong and take that from somebody who's been doing this a long time and has seen things come and go and has seen the right way to do things the wrong way to do things and uh i've heard a lot of shit so I say it from a good place. I care about this industry a lot, you know, so uh, I want to put out more content like this so people can start kind of having reality checks and begin to start going down the proper path of a moral, ethical, proper business model for coaching, like doing the right thing and doing it the right way um, for longevity, right? Not only for you as a business owner, but also for the people who are hiring these people. You know, unfortunately we can't, get rid of all the yeah. bad shit but that's kind of where this Can came from you
1: make an impact or
0: yeah and you know i think it's my duty to to try to make an impact in that way so this podcast is kind of like the things that irritate me in the coaching space so to speak so totally. um let's just dive in man what's number one all right we
1: got number one is going to be lack of work ethic let's start it off strong so we got uh, three different things here high standards and low commitments, which is good. We have weak training in the gym and unwilling to admit dieting takes
0: discipline. So, obviously, three areas that come to mind for this. You know, um, when I think of lack of work ethic, I mean, I kind of think of, of, I mean, society as a whole, first of all, because it, I mean, it's just a fact, like, most people. In life, have like over time, times have just gotten easier and easier. Which is, I mean, it's a good thing. Obviously, technology, modern man, like we build things, we create things, yep. things become more convenient. That's a good thing, but it does limit a lot of people's uh, requirement for hard work. Yeah, plain and simple. And shit, I'm a wuss. I mean, have you ever seen the Revenant, the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio? Yes. Okay, so. Are you comparing yourself to that movie? No. Like I watched that movie and I'm like, God, I am such a fucking wuss. Like, you know what I mean? Like think of like the hard times yeah. those guys I'd go through. And obviously that's like a ridiculous exaggerate, <laughs> exaggeration. But, but my point is, is like every generation got closer to that, totally. you know? So I think like I hear about my dad growing up and it was a little bit worse. I hear about my grandpa. It was a little bit worse. I hear about my great grandfather, a little bit worse. You know, like you keep going down the line shit was harder and harder and harder, typically people were happier and happier and happier and happier, which is crazy if you think about it because the things that have kept increasing over time are depression, anxiety, drug abuse, uh, suicide, like very weird, but there is a rewarding thing about hard work. So I think part of the reason I like uh, talking about hard work and I'm very passionate about it is because I do think there is like a literal relation between working really hard And fulfillment in life. I think there is something that happens when you work hard and you do hard things. Not only do you build grit and discipline and things that are going to apply to other areas of your life, obviously, but I also think that you generally become more happier as a human being because you are going to feel more fulfillment. You're going to reward yourself more. You're going to appreciate yourself more. You're going to love yourself more. You're going to respect yourself more, admire yourself more. All the things that we constantly do for other people that are of high stature, we will have towards ourselves because we see ourselves working really hard. And I don't give a shit if that's with dieting and training or if it's with building a business or it's fucking gardening, you know what I mean? You do something fucking good and it takes time and discipline and work. You lose sleep over it and it's an amazing thing by the end of the day or in the week, month, year, it takes time, whatever. That's something that's gonna impact your life in a positive way. So I think there is a, a, a lot of good reasons just to work hard in general, but in the coaching space, um, I see more and more of it in general. And so the first one, it? low standard okay. or sorry, high standard, low commitment basically. Yep. Right. So the, the thing is, is like you either need to lower your standard and raise your, or raise your commitment. Essentially. That's where the quote came from. The original quote is lower your standards or raise your commitments, which basically means most people there have high standards, but they have low commitments. Yep. They're unwilling to do much work. But they That's have yeah, expectations. Exactly, they want a lot, right? And so, coming into the coaching space, I think there's a lot of people who I actually had this question on my story. I haven't even answered yet. yet. Um, I'm still working through them. But it was like, uh, and I've had this a million times. What do you recommend for somebody step like getting into the coaching space? And you know, books or courses Just in general. Like it was literally that was it. What do you recommend? Okay. I'm like, exactly. Like uh, a ton. But like the thing that actually came to mind was don't try to work for yourself yet. Like, I think a lot of people like they get their certification and they're like, all right, I'm going to be a coach and I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And it's like, well, why don't you go like work for somebody who's been doing it for 20 years? Mm -hmm. Like I, I, like I've, that's usually like you work up the corporate ladder. You know what I mean? Before you become a CEO of a fucking company. Yeah. To me, it's like, go work for somebody, mentor under them, hustle your balls off until you get to a point that you can be a leader in that company and you've earned the right to go step out and do it on your own. And maybe by then you don't even want to step out and do it your own because you've created yourself as an entrepreneur and that company is 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 basically needs you now. Driving. Yeah, because of you, right? And you never know. But point is is I think you're gonna go a lot further. But um it's like this weird thing that people think they just need to jump right into themselves. Um but again that's like a high expectation. Oh, I got my certificate a certificate of personal training. Like I'm I'm an entrepreneur now. I'm gonna build my own business and be wealthy. And it's like, I don't think that's the way it works. Like there is no fa- fast gratification in coaching. Like it takes so much time. And you have to coach people for free. You have to coach people for dirt cheap after that. You have to create content for a long period of time. You have to study constantly because it's constantly evolving. Um, and if you're jumping into it now, man, it's even easier because when I jumped into it, like evidence-based fitness and nutrition wasn't much of a thing. So we lacked a lot of research. It was really just like what we knew and what other people knew. So we had to pay to go to seminars and train with people to learn what they knew based on their experience. And later on studies came out. So now people come into the industry, there's fucking research on everything. So you can literally just start studying everything and you don't have to rethink what you've already learned, which is harder than learning something for the first time. It's, it's changing your worldview on an opinion, right? Um, and so if you step into it now, you don't have like a hard stance or anything. For me, there's things that I saw work and now research is trying to disprove it. That's hard for me to reteach myself or rewire my brain around my thoughts with that. But for somebody new in the industry, it's like, man, that's simple. You're stepping into it right now. There's research on everything. Just start, start learning, start researching. Um, So I think in general, people need to start I don't want to say lower their standards or raise a commitment. I want you to uh, raise your commitment, period. Like, I don't think you should have low standards, but you have to understand that high expectations and high standards require high commitments and discipline and hard work. And when we go into training, it's the same thing. Like, I think there's – training in general has turned into this, like – I shouldn't say turn into it because I think there's there's always both ends of the spectrum, right? There's people that like you clearly need to take a deload, bro. Like you are training weights, you are and you're burning yourself out. And then there's people who are just like pussyfooting it for lack of better terms and they're just not getting after it in the gym. And like there's a common trait with every single great power lifter, great bodybuilder, great bikini athlete, great football player, basketball, all the people that we were talking about yesterday that had rings and championships. We were having that discussion about just sports and racing and all that. You wouldn't look at any of them and be like, "No, they like take it easy." You know, they don't want to go too hard because they like they want to make sure they're recovering. They want to like have balance. Like, no, they fucking grind. They yeah. work hard. So it's like you have to expect that. Now, do you need to do that twenty four seven, three six five? No, not at all. But that's what like deloads are for that's what periodization is for right there's blocks of training called accumulation intensification realization and then like you rinse and repeat but in between those there's deloads and then there's like an actual transition where you're breaking and then coming back so it's not just like you're like pushing harder and harder and harder and harder and it's infinitely continuous it's it's you push harder and then you pull back you push harder you pull back and harder is relative it's never it's never actually harder But it's progressive because every time you push harder, you get stronger. And when you get stronger, you can do more within your, quote unquote, harder zone. But the point is, is people, and I I would say a big part of this is, and we'll get to this later in the podcast, but like the evidence-based stuff has kind of made this an issue because RPE and RIR made people think that they can leave way too many reps in the tank, in my opinion. Um, There's a lot of research that shows you have to be within four reps in reserve in order to... um, uh, Basically, uh, for people who don't know reps and reserve, basically, you have to be within four reps away from failure in order to... So that's like your proximity to failure. RIR is the way you gauge it. You have to be four sh- reps shy of failure in order to truly stimulate maximal gains. That's like your your good effort zone. Um, some people took it as far to say that like anything before that doesn't matter. And I would disagree because everything building into that is what allowed that's you to be backed. four. Exactly. Like yeah. you wouldn't be four reps away from failure if you didn't have the 10 reps prior to that. Um, however... I also think that there, you know, and there's actually a lot of research to prove this. Most people don't understand how to gauge RIR or RPE properly. So if you're going into the gym and you're saying you're four reps away from failure, but you actually don't know what failure is like, you don't know if you're four reps away from failure and therefore you're probably not four reps away from failure. And I would actually argue that most people cannot get four reps away from failure, not because their muscles can't handle it, but because their brain won't allow them to do it, which goes back to the whole work ethic thing. Being able to go into that like dark place of just grinding through a set is mental. And it's just fucking hard. You could like the, the like when we were talking about the riding on the bike and your quads are just like filling up with lactic acid because it's not a normal bike. to yeah. win gate bike. So after 20, 30 minutes, like you do your quads, you're just like, but like when you get off of it, 10 minutes later, your quads are fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like it's the mental side of it when you're you have five minutes left and it's burning, and you just want to get off. That's the hardest part. Um, so being able to teach people that goes back to the work ethic thing. But if people don't understand how to do that properly, they're not going to be training hard enough. And I think when people just read abstracts or titles that say four reps in reserve equals maximal gains compared to zero reps in reserve. They're, they're not like they're setting their stuff up from failure basically because there's no explanation as to who those participants were, who this is actually applicable for, what requirements, like what prerequisites are required in order to put you in that classification in the first place. Um, And it, and it boils down to work ethic. People are unwilling to go to failure to see what that's like, or to even push that boundary because they're afraid. Um, And, I I will like, I think that, uh, I mean, just in general, I think people need to test that and you shouldn't, I said one rep max, like, uh, going to failure. Most people think going to failure, you, you test your one RM and that's how you gauge it. Because a lot of times if you, it's a eight RM or 10 RM, you can calculate that based off your one RM. But for anybody who's like, oh, I've done a one rep max, but have you done a 10 rep max? Because it's two completely different things. The feeling of going to a 10 rep max is it's a different sensation of pain than doing a one rep max. One rep max is just, I mean, you psych yourself up, you grab the bar and you go and it is a grindy rep and it's hard. But like, imagine doing that with a ton of lactic acid in your legs, your mind's already fatigued, your body's fatigued, you've already done 10 to 15 reps because you're doing a 20 rep set of squats or something it's different. Your heart's pumping way harder. It's just different. And I think that's a better gauge for understanding RIR than a one rep max. Um, And then last but not least in this category is dieting. I think a lot of people with flexible dieting and if it fits your macros, it has gotten to a point where people just assume that you can diet super easily and just coast along. But the the reality is you're going to be fucking hungry. Like there are periods of times where it just kind of sucks and it is what it is. I think that there's I mean, we just recorded a a video on this, so you can check it out on the YouTube channel, but like if, oh, it aired today as we're recording this, um, hunger hacks. So like there's ways to mitigate it. Like we're, we are actively helping our clients work through the things that make a diet difficult, stress, fatigue, biofeedback, poor sleep, uh, training declines in the gym, hunger. But To act like those aren't going to happen, that's where we have an issue. And I think that more and more people are assuming that's the case. And there's a few things in this podcast that we're going to talk about that I think affect that or cause that with people. But in general, I think people are afraid because it's not the best marketing tactic for me to sit here and say that dieting is hard. But again, going back to the first thing I said in in this podcast with this topic, hard things create fulfillment and happiness. They do. Like there's just nothing that being a parent is fucking hard. It's like the most rewarding thing in the world. Being married is fucking hard, but it's like, we love it. We'll never get like, that's what we strive to do is create a family. Like it, there's nothing I want more than a happy wife and a happy daughter. You know what I mean? But mm. they're not easy. Mm. Building a business isn't easy, but it's fulfilling as hell. Like training is hard, but it gives me the reward of something I really enjoy. So I think that the more you get comfortable with the difficulties inside of dieting, the more likely you are to be able to successfully diet and the more likely you are to uh, not need to diet as often because I think a lot of people struggle even more because they can't fully commit so they just dabble in it and because they're not fully in and they're not just accepting the hardship and just doing the work, they end up falling back and then having to do it again, falling back, having to do it again and it makes a 12-week diet into a 24-week diet and then that turns into dieting off and on throughout the entire year and now it becomes a whole year full of this and that creates this this image or this, this video in your head of dieting sucks. Yeah. Right. But if you just commit to the hardship of dieting and you accept that it's not going to be easy, number one, it'll be easier than you realize when you accept that it's going to be hard. It's actually not that hard all the time, but there are hard times of it. And if you are ready for those hard times, you won't fall off and make it harder for yourself. Mm. And then once you get done with the diet, it's done in 12 weeks, 12, maybe 16 weeks, depending on who you are, then you have the whole year to just maintain and not worry about dieting. You know what I mean? You don't have to diet all the time because you just committed the time needed and you just got it done. But it only happens if you raise your commitment to match your expectations or your standards. Like that's the ultimate thing. And I see more and more people in society in general, but especially in coaching, it's the way people are marketing their coaching that I think is causing this. But more and more people are stepping into coaching relationships and hiring coaches and they're getting into that position where they expect it to be easier than it is. I agree. That's an issue. Yeah. All right, cool. We will move on to the next topic,
1: which is going to be number two is business coaching masterminds. There's three uh, points here. We'll start with the first one. It says slimy tactics, quick fix marketing tac- tactics that don't build longevity. And number three will conclude with discourages actual
0: coaching education. I think I threw in there uh, DMing until your fingers fall off. Yeah, yeah so... um this one might be semi controversial um, and confusing to some because I have spoken at business fitness business masterminds. So, this isn't a black and white statement that all business coaches are bad. Um, and partially, never, this is partially why I've never really called myself a business coach. And although I've mentored people and I don't really do much of it anymore, um, not even because I'm not good at it, because I think I am pretty good at it. I've seen people be pretty successful with my help. But I think that I think anybody who does too many things doesn't do any of them super well, you know um, which is why like we had this conversation many yeah. times. It's like, I can't go all in on that because then I'm not all in on TCM and that's what matters most to me. But uh, point being um, I don't mean this as a blanket statement. Not all business coaches are bad. Um, I've always called myself a mentor because I think having a mentor is important. Um, but in general, and again, this might sound controversial. I think the business coaching mastermind area is kind of fucking slimy, you know. Um, in general, like it's, it just turned into this thing where people people tend to go towards business coaching before they go to like coaching education. They are trying to learn. what should I DM somebody to get them to sign up for coaching with me before they try to learn how to periodize a training program or or macro program for clients, which makes no fucking sense to me. Like half the people that are DMing people to work with them have no business working with them in the first place. And I think it, it rubs me wrong because I have worked so hard and studied for so long and everybody on my team has worked so hard and studied for so long. I mean, shit, there's people on the team that have degrees and certificates that I can't even fathom because they're above me. Like they're, you know, and that's part of being a good leader is hiring people that are smarter than you, honestly. But the point is, is there's people out here that are paying thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to work with business coaches and go to masterminds just to learn how to DM a hundred people a day. And you're, I mean, you're just going to fucking continually punch somebody's DM inbox until they sign up with you. And then when they sign up with you, you don't even know how to actually help them as a client. And then you overload yourself with clients. You have no true value to them, right? And then now you're tainting the industry. You're literally leaving a bad taste on the industry because people think of online coaches and they think of these slimy people who slide into your DM and ask you, you know, do you want to lose weight? Do you want to train with me? Do you want to do this, that? Um, And it's sad, man. I think that in general, it's just a slimy fucking industry, and uh, more than anything, I just wanted to like kind of put my flag in the ground and just say like I just don't I don't like it. Like, you know, I, I it's why I never I never posted it, but like it's why I made that post uh, that picture. You know, where it was like I'm looking for, and it was like all those things, and we see that all the time, Very right, upset, like man. I'll probably post it eventually. Um, Honestly, the reason I haven't posted it is because pictures don't do well right now. Pictures aren't getting engagement. So part of me is like, maybe I'll create a reel. Sounds like an excuse. I think I'll create a reel like that because, well, here's the thing. If if I'm going to post that, it's not just to like make fun of people and not be heard. I'm going to post it. Even worse. It's going to be seen less. Like, that's why like... I would, I would like, I want to post something that is going to get way more views, way more engagement, way more shares. And and if images on Instagram are doing that, I'm just going to be smart about it. I want people to see it because I want to make fun of these people publicly. And I want people to know that this is fucking stupid. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like you got to make a statement. Yeah. Um, and that's honestly why. So, but the post in general and, and shit, maybe we'll, we'll do a reel about this, right? Like when you see coaches post that says, I'm looking for seven female individuals that are 35 and a half years old who had thyroid dysfunction are tired of the yo-yo dieting cycle have three kids two are twins go to crossfit five times a week and like to golf on the weekends dm me ready to get started if you're interested in working with me only seven spots available and it's like first of all that motherfucker has as many spots available as he can possibly fill second of all nobody needs to work with that niche of a client that's stupid Third of all, whoever's posting that doesn't even have the education because if you actually took the time to become so well-educated that you could be a specialist in that degree, you would never even have to post something like that to fill up your client roster because you would be well-known for being so smart at what you do and creating good content and helping people that your roster would be full. You know what I mean? So to me, stuff like that is just so disgusting. It's like, that's not what coaching is about. Coaching is about helping people, not quick fix marketing sales tactics. You know what I mean? Like not to use this as an example, but James Pug, I'm going to use this as an example. Three almost hour long, if not hour long podcast per week, at least one blog. There's probably going to be more now that I have all those ones that I've revamped per week. Now two videos per week, four newsletters per week. Nowhere in there is there short form content that is asking for anything. It's giving, giving, giving. And every once in a while in a uh, newsletter, I say, hey, if you need help, click here, we'll help you. You know what I mean? Like that's to the extent of it goes, but that's hours and hours and hours of time spent delivering free value to help people. Like that's what coaching is about. That's what being a coach is about. It's helping people. Now, do I post on Instagram short form content? Yes, I do that every single day as well. And the team page, we do that every single day as well. So there's more than just what I just stated. Um, but those are just the long form ones that take hours and hours and hours of time. Um, and anybody who's who tries to argue with that being a good strategy i, I mean come on like what i'm not arguing with exactly <laughs> we have a f- pretty fucking large company with a lot of people a lot of clients a lot of members of an app like it works trust yep. me but it takes time it takes hard work it takes high commitments to match the high standard like i said in the first one business coaching masterminds often sell quick fix funnels challenges, Facebook groups, and DM scripts, because when you sign up, it can give you a fast return of investment. So if I pay you a couple thousand dollars to join and you immediately give me, here's this funnel, run this Facebook group challenge, use this exact script, use this exact macro fat loss plan and use this uh, DM system to organize your, you know what I mean? Yeah, you're going to make some money back in the first month. It's not sustainable. You didn't learn how to do any of that shit because they gave it to you. So you don't know how to do anything for yourself. And you don't know how to actually coach. So none of those people are going to stay long-term. And anybody who signs up for a cheap, quick fat loss challenge joins a Facebook group. Um, Not that Facebook groups are bad necessarily, but they are kind of dying off. They're not as popular or good as they used to be. And if you do any kind of like cheap Facebook group challenge, if you do a free Facebook challenge, stuff like that, um, it's very hard to get people to fully commit because it's free, which is why like the tailored life challenge wasn't about fitness and stuff. It was about discipline. So it's like, Hey, if you want to do this, it's hard shit that you're going to have to do every day. If you don't want to do it, don't, yeah. there's yeah. nothing here for you. We're not selling you anything. Like it's just, if you want to do some hard shit and that's why it was really successful. But the, the like quick fat loss challenge ones and stuff like that, it never works. In the DMs where you offer a, a promotional offer, stuff like that, that never works either because if somebody pays a cheap amount, their standard, their commitment is super low. So guess what? Their commitment doesn't match their standards. So the same exact problem that happens to you in the business is happening to them as a client right? So I could go on and on and on, but the point is, is that that shit just doesn't work long-term. And it, and it, it, to me, it's starting to rub me wrong only because I'm getting more and more and more people DMing me. It's actually wild, man. Like probably in the last like three months, for whatever reason, I've had more and more people who are coaches DMing me, just generally asking for advice because they're like, I don't really know what to do now. I joined blank and Blank happened and now I'm kind of in this position where like it's not really working anymore. I don't feel satisfied. Like my gut's kind of telling me that I need to do something else but these people are telling me to do this and I'm like, man, trust your gut. I don't have anything to sell you so I'm not gonna try to pitch my program but here's what I did. Here's what I've found is successful and I would recommend looking at all the things that you don't like, that don't vibe with you and that you don't feel are um, actually impactful or moral or whatever you want to, whatever word you want to use and do the opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the biggest lessons I've learned in my life from, I hate to say it, but not only my mentors, but also my dad even are the things that I don't want to do are the things that made them not the best blank, right? Leader, father, business owner, whatever it may be. But the things that I looked at and was like, man, I'm going to do things differently when I'm in that position. Those are the things that helped me grow the most right so there's a lot of times where people are in situations where they need to actually look at the situation and not go fuck I wasted money go man I spent a lot of money to learn exactly what path not to follow yeah perfect i'm going to i'm going to turn here and i'm going to go my own path and do it the right way um so in general i think people should be very leery of business uh masterminds it doesn't mean never go to one um it just means that you should probably like really audit it and think about things and be fucking patient like i can't say that enough that like that probably, and it's funny because I was so impatient too, like especially growing up. But like, you know, and, and I got to give credit to Luca. He checked me on that quite a bit. And it was because I worked for somebody else who was a mentor to me. And every time I got impatient, they told me to shut the fuck up and be patient word for word too. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> there's no sugarcoating it. And I needed that. And it taught me how to be patient and continue grinding. And now I am more patient than anybody. And because of that, I'm going to just, quietly keep moving forward while everybody like jumps forward and falls back, jumps forward and falls back. Um, So be patient and uh, be on the lookout for what we'll drop. Like I'm, I'm really excited about it.
1: We're starting up a mastermind. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's going to be the anti mastermind mastermind. Yeah. So our goal with it is to, uh, and this is the, do the marketing behind. It's going to be great because we're literally going to like put in there. We We will not be selling you anything afterwards because every, any mastermind you go to, it's almost like, I've been to some where I'm like, I've spoken at even, and I'm like, I gotta leave at the end. Or like, I've attended some where I'm like, I'm gonna skip out right as the last speaker's going because I know the fucking hard sales pitch is coming at the end of the seminar. And I just, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and, and they do it on purpose because if you're sitting around a bunch of peers and they're calling you out and wanting you to buy in, and you're like sitting there like, fuck, like this is awkward. I don't wanna be that guy that says no. You end up buying it. You make a bad decision. And it takes a lot of courage to be like, no, that's not worth my money or my time. Um, But we're going to basically pitch it as like, hey, we're not going to sell you shit afterwards. You're probably never going to have to come back to any of our events ever again because we're going to teach you as much as possible here that allows you to just take, implement, and then consistently apply it for the next five years of your business and grow. Like, it's literally like a one shot and done. And we did it because we were just like, this would be super fucking fun. All of us see eye to eye on business, life, work ethic, everything, and we laugh. People will fucking enjoy it. We can do like a small private group, like 20 people, and just teach a lot of value around actual business and coaching principles that will allow people to grow. Totally. Um, So it's just in like the idea phase right now. We're all going to get on a call and then-
1: Read this book. Study these research reviews.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to- Know your shit. Yeah. We're going to give them- that kind of stuff too. But all, I mean, I'm going to dive deep into SEO. Or I'm going to dive deep into systems. We'll dive deep into like how to actually scale and, and go about sales and marketing and, and things like that, long form content and building a tribe and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it's uh, another topic I'm super passionate about just because I think that uh, a lot of people are being duped. Yep. Unfortunately. I think that's a good transition into number
1: four. Number four is going to be short form content opposed to long form. Uh, there's three points here. It says limits educational requirements of the creator. It says it lessen, lessens value delivered to the consumer
0: and it provides false hope to, to clients. So in an era of short form content – the problem with short form content, you know, we, we create reels and I can give you, you know, what's been cool about the reels that we've taken from these podcasts too. every single one people comment and go, what podcast is this? How do I find the podcast? I'm like, be patient. <laughs> it's coming out next week, you know, but point being is I can drop a reel and I'm like, boom, like heavy hitting one liner, but you got to listen to the whole podcast. Cause that, that little section that 60 seconds is actually like a 16 minute fucking answer to a question. You know what I mean? And I even had another coach comment and was like, yeah, it's 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 hard for me to give a black and white answer here. And I'm like, oh yeah, same here. That's why when I answered the question, it was like 20 minutes long. I just pulled this little clip about cardio out for this when I did like the high intensity versus low intensity one or whatever. Yep. But, you know, the problem with short form content is that it limits the creator's educational requirements. And what I mean by that is you don't have to be that intelligent to create a quick, cool motivational reel of you in the gym and make people think you know what you're doing. But in order to articulate how to fill up a full two to 3000 word article, write newsletters on a consistent basis, record an hour long podcast, record a 20 minute video on hunger hacks and scientific research based on it. That takes education and for the consumer, it limits, again, their commitment to what they're taking in, but it limits like essentially how much knowledge they bring in, right? And now they're not consuming enough to actually apply anything with it. So they're consuming content that creates false hopes because they're just seeing ripped people do cool fucking things instead of spending actual time learning how to diet, how to train, how to stay accountable, how to adhere, how how to stay consistent, how to build self-discipline. Like those things don't happen quick. So how is quick content gonna provide those things for you? You know what I'm saying? So I think that short form content has been hurting the industry in many ways. I think it's a positive thing because it allows people like me or other people that are evidence-based coaches who are doing it for the right reason to drop a clip from the podcast and and get people's attention and hear like a quick snippet. The next one I'm going to post is, is on reverse dieting. So they hear a quick snippet of like my thoughts on reverse dieting. And some of the stuff I say is a little bit controversial to what other people say, but it gets them thinking. And then they go, man, I really want to learn more about that. It's like, cool. Well, I talked about it for fucking God knows how long, because it's hard to shut me up. Go check out the podcast. Go read the article that I wrote on it. Go watch the four videos we have on YouTube. You know what I mean? Like there's so much content on it. And now they can actually learn enough to do something about it. I mean, that's a good topic in general because I don't know how many times we answer reverse dieting questions on the podcast. We have two full podcasts on it. We have two full videos on it. I have a full entire blog breaking down how to uh, reverse diet. We have another blog on metabolic adaptation. We have another one on periodization, all which include reverse dieting. And we have a case study blog breaking down a client going through a reverse diet. Right, so some cool TikToker can post a before and after of somebody reverse dieting, getting good results. But where is all their long-form information showing they actually know what they're doing, or that that client is legit a reverse diet client of theirs? You know what I mean? Like, there's there's always more to the picture, and if there's not a background explanation of what's behind the scenes on that picture, there's no there's not enough for me to there's not enough proof for me to trust. The yep. source. So I think that, in general, as a coach, I, I I think it should be a requirement to be able to create long form content in order to be able to coach. Great. I really do because it's the only way to display that you have quality education. Like results are one thing, but there's also coaches who have, uh, for example a big TikTok following or a big Instagram following, they look really good. So a bunch of people sign up for a cheap end offer. They put people in a huge deficit. The person loses weight, you know, and I know people and companies who have done this, people lose weight within 60 days, crazy before and after, they gain all the way back, and only 25% of the people that work with them actually lost weight. But because they have such a big reach and they get thousands of people to sign up for this program, 25% is still hundreds of people. So they get to show hundreds of people transforming, but they don't show hundreds of people gaining weight after the fact, which is very, very common with weight loss in general. And it doesn't show all the people who didn't even succeed in the first place because they couldn't adhere to the plan. You know what I mean? So to me, that's just the fact. And here's the deal too, is like, there's going to be people listening. They're like, but like my grammar is horrible. I'm not a good writer. Like we have coaches on our team that aren't good writers, but they could get on a podcast and and talk. They could do videos. You know what I mean? Like they can create long form content. Writing just isn't their thing. So I don't care if it's podcasts, writing, seminars, presentations. It doesn't matter. Like I know coaches that are really great coaches, not the best content creators, but I've watched them present seminars and presentations for private people or or, or public gyms, stuff like that. And they crush it. So if you can stand up and do a two hour presentation i mean that's content creation yeah it's just that person doesn't know how to translate that into instagram which is understandable but the point is is i believe it should be a requirement and more and more and more short-form content coming into the industry and being like the main thing is limiting long-form content and its utility and i think it's a problem because it literally lessens the requirements of a coach it, it lowers the standards or the barrier of entry for coaches like back in the day you kind of had to write blogs like absolutely there wasn't any other content forms yeah. you know what i mean so if you couldn't write blogs you literally like i mean you, you couldn't get clients you weren't getting clients you couldn't create content yeah. and once instagram youtube all those things first started it was long-form stuff um, and like I said, not TikTok and Snapchat fucked everything up, <laughs> honestly, but, uh, but even then it's like utilize those for, for, for showing. And I don't, and I do think like as a, as a business owner and a marketer, I do think there's value in like a 50, 50 approach. And what I mean by that is like, okay, uh, do the Instagram reel where you like have like Dave Chappelle or Chris Tucker or Eddie Murphy, whatever voice in the background and it's you like saying client point of view and this is like really common, like client POV and it's like when coach tells you to drop carbs and it's like, uh, take the words out of my mouth or whatever. Like, and it's Chris Tucker's voice from, I think it's Friday or maybe that's a rush hour that he does that, but it's you talking and there's like shit popping up. People love it. It's funny. It's like, oh yeah, I feel like that too. My coach just took my carbs. Cool. Do that. It gets engagement, gets reach. I I get that. Next post, give some fucking value. Teach, yeah. You know what I mean. That's a fifty-fifty bounce. and that's actually really smart because it's like, let me let me loop them in, you know. Let me catch the deer. Yeah. <laughs> Inside joke. Uh, I, I for some reason I thought you caught deer with nets and lassos. Um, <laughs> um, so you reel them in with that kind of content, and then once they're there, you teach them. Yeah. You know, and we do that to an extent too. Yeah. The tweet posts I used to hate, but I use them because yeah. I'm going to gather you in, and then I'm going to teach you a little bit, yeah. or I'm going to gather you with that thing, and then the caption is really long, but. I'll end this rant with just saying back to the bullets which are are in general long form content is better than short form content and I think it should be a requirement because if the coach you are seeking or the coach you are is one that only creates short form content you are not proving that you know much by doing that and I think that relying on short form content lowers the standard of your education level so start creating if anything even if you're if you create content that's not getting reached yet Again, we've seen this on YouTube. We started posting on YouTube right now and now like videos we did two years ago are getting thousands of extra views. All of a sudden we're like, what the fuck? But we're shooting videos now, but algorithm, who fucking knows? But the point is, is if for no other reason, it will make you a better coach because you will be able to articulate things better to your clients when you're talking and coaching them because you are forced to do research when you create long form content. And then on the client side, that is doing the same exact thing, but on the consumption end. Right? It's lowering the barrier of entry for them. It's lowering their uh, actuality. I mean, you are taking in short-form content. You're taking in less information, less knowledge. You're not learning as much, and then you're expecting to get results. So you have false hope because yeah. you're not getting the results you expect to see because you see this short-form content looks super cool, super easy, super stress-free, super quick. It's not the reality. Yeah. You always say like, it should be a requirement to do long-form
1: content to be a coach. I feel like if you had control, it would be like, you have to do long form content in order to do short form content. Yeah.
0: I I agree. It's not the way of the world, but it's (laughs) not, but yeah, but I can tell you this, your short form content will be way more effective. Yeah. And here's, I think the thing that most coaches don't understand, um, I've had this conversation with so many people, um, and it's so eye opening to them when I do, because they're like, I just like, I don't get it. Like, uh, I get a ton of engagement on these posts and I do these things and these TikTok is killing it right now for me. But I like I'm not getting all the leads. I'm not like I don't I'm not getting a bunch of clients. And then I'm over here like, yeah, I don't I don't do TikTok and like I do some reels, but like we try to still like put info in there, you know, and we don't get as much engagement and I don't have as many followers as you. But we have like a seven-figure business and we have a bunch of coaches and we're working with a hell of people. We're helping people around the world like why is that? Well, it's because the content I do create is meaningful and it actually resonates with people. It actually teaches people what the fuck to do, and it actually connects. Applicable. It's applicable, yeah. right? And it's and it's trustworthy. Like me dancing on the screen is not trustworthy, <laughs> you know. Like that's that was one of the things in my presentation is like, would you trust this guy? And it's like a guy dancing on TikTok with a million followers, but it's like he's ripped, he's a fitness guy, or this guy who is writing blogs and long form content. And he has Google reviews and he has a, a facility, and like it's. Like there is facts about trusting somebody, you know.
1: I just don't think, like, in my opinion, I don't think the, I don't know, man. I just don't think like the the general uneducated client looks for those kind of people. I mean, now they they look for ripped, easy, like answers.
0: I would disagree only because number. I mean, number one, if that was the case, maybe why why not a good client? But why why do we have more clients? Why do we help more people than that person then? Partially because they, they don't know how to help that person, but partially too, because people follow those people, they get motivated, they see it. But then when it comes down to actually applying and working with somebody, yeah. they go to the person they trust. Yeah. So they go, okay, this TikTok influencer is super cool. What podcast does he listen to? Yeah. I'm going to listen to the podcast that he listens to. Oh, these guys are really smart at what they do. And then they apply for us. That's true. Or they go to Google and they type in how to lose weight before my wedding. Yeah. Right. Or losing 10 pounds before my wedding. Yep. You know, and then they see who's going to pop up and it's not that TikToker.
1: That's very true.
0: You know what I'm saying? Yep. Nobody goes to Instagram. Nobody goes to TikTok and types in how to reverse diet. They don't. Yep. Maybe they type in reverse dieting and then it's like, again, like a, a fucking song and it's like... (laughs) Poof, 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 <laughs> and they're just like adding like food onto a plate or something <laughs> yeah. like you're reversing the diet I don't yeah. know that'd be a clever TikTok video yeah. somebody take it and use it <laughs> um, but like I think that's like you know Love that's it. what happens people I, I follow people that I would never hire yeah. why because I'm like oh that's fucking hilarious yeah. like there was that guy, the guy with the mustache that always has the videos of him sharing a headphone yep. and he's like you and your buddy listening to Lil Wayne a- after 7th grade class or something and he's like rapping going <laughs> back and forth you know what video I'm talking yeah. about it was shared in the group before okay. I Kick myself out, no. but um, it's a, uh, it was that song with Joel Santana, I think, and it was basically like him sharing a headphone with himself, gotcha. walking the street. Remember, we used to do that with friends, yeah, because there was no ear pods, yeah. Um, and he's like one, rapping Lil Wayne and then himself with a hat on is rapping the other guy, but that guy's hilarious. Yeah, I'm not gonna buy anything from him yeah. ever, but I follow him. Okay. <laughs> I agree. So, all right, let's transition
1: before Cody throws his rock star through a window. <laughs> All right, number four. I think I said number four last time, but anyway, I meant three. Uh, Number four is going to be cheap coaching and tainting the industry. So uh, first point is going to be don't provide too much value or quote-unquote keeps responses short. uh, Referring elsewhere instead of actually coaching. And third one is low prices for low
0: services, which leads to low accountability and piss-poor results. Um yeah so I I think that in general cheap coaching is tainting the industry and what I mean by that it is polluting tainting quite literally means polluting it's polluting the industry by putting a bad residue on what online coaching is it is turning the online coaching industry and it's into this like uh stereotypical bad thing. Like it's just not valuable and it's not something you want to invest money in because there's cheap ass coaching that is literally causing people to assume that it's putting a bad taste in their mouth. It's tainting the industry. And it's unfortunate. And I literally took those quotes from somebody. So this person is probably listening. So shout out to you. I won't say your name. Um but like literally they told me that they heard this, right? So there's there's companies who literally tell you to keep your responses to a client shorter because you are providing too much value. Mm. And if you do that, then they're gonna expect you to keep providing that much value. And then all of us are gonna have to provide that much value. What? Like Like that's nuts. Number one, that's fucked up. Like imagine if I told my team like, hey guys, keep your responses short. Don't give them too much value. Don't teach them too much because we don't want them to expect quality here. Then we all gotta work hard. (laughs) like that's absolutely insane. But that is a true fucking story. And that's a problem because number one, those people are not willing to pay their coaches enough and they're not willing to charge enough in order to justify more time spent with the individual, which is cheap coaching, which is let's pump advertising into uh, funnels to create more cheap clients who have low commitments, but they'll pay in full for, three months and we can just keep running these ads and cycle people through and then we'll pay coaches low amounts so that they can just do the bare minimum to just get these people going and keep them going by. We'll put like a hundred clients with each coach, overwork them, under, underpay them. It's it's fucked up, but it's, it's literally what happens and, and it's cheap coaching. And that's the problem is like, there are corporations that do this and the people that do this are people who step into our industry who don't know shit about coaching. Yeah. And then they put their money in the capital behind a coaching company, pump ads into it and get a bunch of people to sign up for cheap ass coaching. And this is what happens, right? And it's part of the reason why like I've always been passionate about like smart scaling. And it's like, I will never rush the scaling process because the first thing to go when you rush the scaling process of business is quality because you sacrifice quality for quantity. And I don't like that's To me, that's what puts a bad name on your business. It's what puts a bad name on you. I'm not willing to do that.
1: Ultimately puts a bad name on the industry.
0: Exactly. So cheap coaching in general does this and and, and it comes down to like you like I think there's there's two sides of this. There is and I've seen both. I've seen the, the side that and this is usually like the corporate style. There's like bigger companies they charge very little, work with tons of people and they literally tell their coaches to not provide too much value, not to talk too much to them, not to give them too much Um, and this is where they outsource things. So instead of me educating you, I'm just gonna say, oh yeah, check out this article we wrote about that here or hey, check out this video we filmed uh, this about that here and they usually refer out to like the owner of the company or other people in the industry instead of just teaching the client for them in their situation, how that applies, right? But it's very cheap, quick responses, no relationships built, oftentimes cycling coaches. So you'll go with six months of coaching. You work with three different coaches, which is crazy to me. And then on the other end of the spectrum is these new coaches who sign up for business masterminds, DM a thousand people, get a decent roster and start charging $500 a month and expect that they're worth it. And they don't even know shit. (laughs) they're not worth that much money. And then now we have these two spectrums of like, damn, I paid all this money, didn't get much value, or I paid next to nothing. And it was just a waste of my time. And I just gained the weight back, right? Where the middle ground, like most things in life is where we should be. And it's like, you should charge a good amount of money, but not because you're trying to create a hustle, but because you need to provide a lot of value and value requires time and time is money, plain and simple. And Money is accountability. So when a a person invests a good amount of money into their coaching, they are 10 times more accountable and more adherent to the plan. So if you want a good client, if a client wants to truly commit to the process and get the best results possible, they do have to commit with, honestly, we used to always say they're watching their wallet. Their time and their money. You have to invest time in this and you got to invest money. Otherwise, you are not going to be committed to it. And they have studies to prove this. You pay a dollar versus getting something for free, you will be less likely to actually see through whatever you paid a dollar for. And I can't, it wasn't fitness. I can't remember what the study showed, but it was literally one fucking dollar. But that just goes to show the psychology of accountability, you know? So point being is I think that unfortunately there is a lot of cheap coaching out there and there's also a lot of really expensive coaching that is just ignorantly priced and it's not worth that much because uh, the value is not there. But the cheap coaching is like just a disgrace because they're like literally not even spending time. Like I think there's a lot of coaches who uh, they, they expect to be able to not devote much time into what they do and I think that's just not, like you shouldn't be in this industry if that's the case, you know what I mean? And you should want to spend that time. There's a lot of value and reward that you get from working with people, and you earn the right to charge more money. Yep. So I think there is a middle ground. Like I think <clears> you should <throat> charge a decent amount, but I don't think you should be ignorant with your prices. Um, I also don't think you should be ignorant with your time. You should have a schedule. You should be uh, very orderly and constructed. Like I've I've done things the wrong way where I was just like, anytime you just reach out, you text me, you message me, you call me, you email, and it was just like I just I want to be, and it was like almost too much to where the person. Didn't have any uh, like authority organization, and actually they were less compliant because of it. Because they needed somebody to be like, nope, this is how it works. This is the way you're going to do it. This is like this is how results happen, and then they're more consistent with that. Um, it's like being like any athlete who, who's a part of the team, and then they stop being a part of the team. Life just feels kind of weird because yep. you don't have that structure. Yep. And then on the other end, I was just burnt out and miserable because I had no fucking organization. I was just everywhere constantly, sucked in. So. I do think there's there's a point in time where you have to have like working hours and there's a check-in day, there's a there's a timely fashion at which your clients respond, which which you respond to them, so on and so forth. But ultimately, uh like my main point is is like I think there's two grounds, but the the thing that makes me the most upset is is the cheap coaching. Like there's too many people that um and unfortunately some of them have big following so they charge too much too, but it's just it, it really what it is, it's undervalued, right? People aren't delivering enough value. And we have so many people that come to coaching with us. And, uh, I, I always, I always prefer the clients that come on board with us that have already worked with other people because, and we don't share a lot of what they we know do better. on purpose, but exactly they've, they've experienced other people. So when they come on board, they're just like, like the wow factor is on another level. And to us, we're like, Oh, this is, this is just our coaching. You know what I mean? This is how it should be in my opinion. Yeah. But they come in and they're like, holy shit, this is so much value compared to what I've seen in the past. And sometimes they tell us, you know, when I get on the phone with people, cause I'll still do those calls, those initial calls. Sometimes I love asking them, like, have you ever worked with somebody before? And I'm like, you don't have to tell me names, but like, what was that experience like? And I want to hear about it. I want to hear everything because I can't like a lot of times. I'm like, I cannot wait for you to start because it's going to be nuts compared to what you did before. You know what I mean? Um, it's almost better than when people and I feel bad for the people who uh who get clients after us later on like there's times where people come on board they've never coached before, so we set the standard for them, which yeah. is great yeah. like they don't get that initial wow factor on the same level like obviously they do because they get great results and they have a, a great relationship with a coach so on and so forth. Um, but if they, you know, later on year later, whatever they coach for somebody else, like obviously that standard, a lot of times is lower, much lower. I know people in the industry who I'm friends with that have amazing coaching companies as well and do really well. So it's not like we're the only people where the golden goose, but um, there is far more companies that do not provide much value at all. And it's unfortunate. I think yeah. it taints the industry. I think people categorize all online coaches in that area um, and it's just not the way it is. Totally. So. Cool. All right. We got one
1: more here. Uh, number five is being two, quote unquote, two evidence based and lacking experience. People, um, three points here. Are reverse dieting is bad for you. You should never, ever go to failure and diet breaks are only psychological.
0: So, so like. Those three points, in particular, I just pointed out as like examples, but I think in general the evidence based community is, and we just did a podcast with Jackson on this, and I think it's a good one for you guys to listen to because he is a researcher, PhD researcher. So if there's anybody who has the right to talk about it, I probably would say it's him since he is on that side. But I think you know, being uh, acquainted with people like him uh, and many others who are researchers, I mean, even you know, we have a dietitian and a PhD researcher on our staff, so I'm able to have these candid conversations off air with them. Being somebody who has been coaching for over a decade, like I, I feel like I have the right to talk about this as well. And I think that we need evidence, we need research, we need science. But if you don't have experience, then you can't apply that science nearly as well. And I think there's a lot of people, um, there's a lot of people who, so there's, there's like three categories of people that I think, there's two categories of people that make this bad. And there's uh, two categories of people that make this really good. There's the Evidence based coach like myself that makes this good because I don't do research and I try to avoid interpreting what
1: you don't do research as in the actual studies. Yeah, I'm not research on your own. Yeah, and
0: I'm not conducting research in a lab, right? There you go. Um, I would say I'm doing anecdotal research with my clients and myself and stuff like that for sure, experiential uh, because anecdote is experience essentially. So, yes, I do that and I try to avoid interpreting straight research. So for example, I rarely post content that is like, I read this PubMed article, here's what I got out of it. Because it's so easy to to misinterpret things if you don't know how to conduct research. Because there's just so much in there that is just... Whether people like to admit it or not, it's just, it's a different world. So I will read something on PubMed, for example. Then I will go to the many research reviews I'm subscribed to and see if they've reviewed yet. If they haven't, I'll text Brandon and be like, what did you get out of this? I'm always asking one of them first. Or I'll read it and then I'll wait for somebody else to talk about it, who I follow, who is a researcher. Be that one of the guys from Mass Research Review, uh, Waitology, which James Krieger, he's gonna be on uh, the podcast soon, Brandon from our team. Somebody else will talk about it eventually and I'll hear their thoughts. I'm like, okay, if I align with it, then I'm gonna create content on If I don't, then I'm gonna dig deeper and figure out why I was wrong in interpreting it, then I'm gonna create content about it. Or I just won't even create content about it because it's not applicable. Then there's the people who are both researchers and coaches. Jackson, we just talked about, Uh, The guys at Mass Research View are great. Uh, Eric Trexler, Eric Helms, uh, Greg Knuckles, Brandon Roberts, although he doesn't coach clients at our company anymore. He used to coach plenty of people. Those are people who have, and I don't think any of those people actually coach anymore, but they have enough real world coaching experience and they all actually train in the gym that they can actually talk about those things. Then there's other people, um, and I'm not going to throw names under the bus. Some of them I don't even know. One that comes to mind that I will name, which... I don't mean this in a negative way. It's not like I'm trying to like start a fight with the guy, not that he'll ever hear this anyway, Um, but Lyle McDonald, for example, um, I have read a lot of his content and his books and stuff like that. And he puts out a lot of good info and he's, he's allowed me to start digging deeper into certain areas. So I think that he's done value in the industry, but he's also known for being somebody who reads research, writes a lot of content and doesn't actually train himself, doesn't actually work with any clients, stuff like that. And that's where it's like, eh, Okay. Um, this is why I like Mike Isertow a lot because he reads into all the research. He, he's extremely smart, but that dude is a meathead and he trains really hard. So he's able to read research and then go apply it and go, actually, I think it's right here. Like and the reason I think this is important is because there's other people who are like, I just said, keyboard warriors who read research, write content, do research, but they don't actually train or work with any people. They have a different perspective. Um, this is also why there's a lot of research done on topics um, like Brandon Roberts on our team is writing a a blog right now for us on two days, uh, two a day training. And the way they did the research study was just so ridiculous. Like it's, it showed that there was more muscle growth in two days, but the way they put together the research study from what I've heard researchers in, in review it that didn't do the study was just stupid. Like no person would set the training up that way that actually trains people. And so it completely, not completely, but it kind of it taints the study. Like it, yeah. it may now we look at it and we go, well, it's kind of, there's no value here because that's not even a real world situation. So what's the point of researching that? But people read the title and they go, oh, two a day builds more muscle. And it's like, yeah, but if you read how it was conducted, nobody's gonna do that shit. Like the way they did it for the, the one day versus two day two a days. Um, but point being, there's those people. And then there's people who, like I just said, they just read a title and then they start spitting out stuff and they, they don't actually understand the research behind it. Totally. So I think that there's 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 this middle ground of like people who understand research and they are invested in people who are reviewing and doing the research and learning about it. But they also train really fucking hard. They spend a lot of time in the gym. They work with real clients. So they're actually able to apply some of this stuff and try to make up their own uh result or like conclusion right so for example these three topics reverse dieting is bad so this has gotten common because if you reverse diet too slowly you don't reverse those metabolic adaptations quickly enough and you drag on the deficit this is a very this is a fact we talk about this many times so oftentimes it's better to uh, do a recovery diet or quick start like basically jump forward and the recovery diet's great it's built by 3dmj but it was primarily used with uh bodybuilding competitors. So of course, if you are stage lean, you're in an extremely big deficit and you've been dieting for 16 to 24, sometimes even 36 week preps, like you've been dieting for an extremely long time. You're way below what your body fat levels should be. And your calories are extremely low. So now you got duration, intensity, and your body is at a pl- stage where it is literally unhealthy and frail. Yeah. You want to gain some body fat, so you, you jump up quickly, but the Gen pop person who just lost 40 pounds and isn't shredded to the gills, why would I jump their calories up super quick and cause them to regain weight when we know we can do it a little bit more slowly? Yeah, it'll drag on the deficit a little bit, but they're not in an unhealthy position. So we can do that. We can afford to spend an extra month or two reverse dieting, do it slowly, slowly increase their total daily energy expenditure by slowly increasing their calories match their movement with it, and now we can maintain the result they got, which is why they paid us in the first place. So looking at research, we would say, if we reverse diet slow, which there's no real research on reverse dieting, but if we look at anything with metabolic adaptation, if we go too slow, we don't fix the metabolic adaptations that occur, and that's a bad thing. I would agree with that. However, in the real world, are those metabolic adaptations that severe, and is it necessary to jump up that quickly? Because now if we jump up quickly to gain a bunch of body fat, guess what? You traded one unhealthy thing, quote unquote, for another, right? Yeah. Um, diet break, same thing. It's only psychological. Most research has shown that and it absolutely is. There's very little research that shows it's very physiological. And most of the time when it's shown that it's physiological, it can be debunked through other reasons. Um, so most people think it's just psychological. It's all in your head. I would agree that at least 50% of it is, if not 75%. But to say that it's there's no physiological benefits would be stupid. Physiological being anything outside of mental yep. right so this is hormones metabolism uh muscle physical everything like that now there is research that shows muscular endurance improves which is obvious you feel muscle glycogen you could train harder so i would say in long term if we had like a really long-term thing of using diet breaks i would probably say that you could retain more muscle because even if you have intermittent periods of diet breaks you'd be able to do more volume that's going to lead to more muscle re- retention at the end of a diet period of six months let's say um but my point with this is, is like working in the real world, I go, well, I have so many people who are chronically stressed, who have uh, crazy busy lives, who have come to me with different dysfunctions of hormones and things like that. You can't tell me that there is absolutely zero physiological benefit to using diet breaks when I've seen them improve these clients' health results in longevity in, in dieting right before my eyes. And none of the studies use those type of people. Usually they use like random sedentary people that don't train or they use resistance trained individuals. And this isn't bashing the researchers because usually you have no choice. Like to get participants for a research study that's long-term is so fucking hard. So I don't want this to be taken as like, you should have done it differently. I don't think you can. I just think it's, it takes uh, an evidence-based coach to understand that they're not gonna find an overworked, overtrained, hormonally dysfunctional mom to jump into a diet break or reverse diet study. They're just not. They're too busy. They got better things to do, more important things, and they're paying somebody to coach them to try to fix this shit. So they find college students who are training, who have low stress, low experience, not much life stress from a long period of time, which doesn't cause a lot of those hormonal dysfunctions. You find somebody in their 20s, it's very unlikely that they have hormonal issues, you know? So point being is I don't think we can only take research with that. And then the last one was, uh, what was the last one?
1: You said them all, diet break.
0: Diet break, reverse diet. I thought there was one more.
1: Uh, you shouldn't ever go to failure.
0: Oh, we already talked about that. Yep. Reps and reserve, yep. right? Like saying that we should never go to failure, I think is inaccurate. I think there's there's times and places where you absolutely can, depending Damn. on the exercise and the person and the experience level. All those things uh, determine how well the person's going to handle going to failure and whether or not the person's actually going to to failure yeah. right or or getting two reps away from failure so um i think that's semi-flawed and it's not flawed i think it's good research i think that it just needs to be viewed by the coach in different ways so that you can understand like oh okay so we should be like two to three reps away from failure you know um you know and most research shows like three to four is is what's needed brad schoenfeld is a leading hypertrophy expert he's coming on the podcast soon too and i've heard him say one to two so i'd probably lean with him but let's say one to two okay cool that is a fact but we have to spend time going to failure with this person periodically to show them what it's like so that they can understand how what to do that. What failure's like. Exactly. Yeah. Then they can actually be one or two reps away for the rest of the time, you know, in their training career. Totally. So I think being too evidence-based can, can hurt you if you don't know how to understand the evidence and apply it into a coaching setting. Totally. So, well, that's it. I don't know if- I'm exhausted. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> uh, I had a lot on my mind for that one. So I appreciate you guys sticking through it and listening. Um I think uh, hopefully you took away something from this. Maybe it was a slap in the face. Maybe it was some reassurance. I know there's some people who see a lot of this stuff and they, they're like, oh, should I be, you know, should I be thinking that way? Should I be following these people or doing those things? And I think this is hopefully like your saving grace to show you like, no, like this is, you're doing the right thing if you're doing X, Y, Z. Um, Any announcements? Uh, other than the normal, guys. So like, as always, of course, if you need help, This is what we do. So go to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash online-coaching or just click the link in the description of this podcast. Apply for a strategy call. You can jump on the phone with myself or one of the coaches completely free, no strings attached to see if it's a good fit. We want to help you lose weight, build muscle, get stronger, improve your health, and just create the body composition that you desire. If you need your training done for you, you can download the Taylor Trainer app at tailoredtrainerapp.com and get all your workouts delivered right to your pocket also, if you are a nutrition client signing up, that comes with coaching. So if you want the both of them, just sign up for a strategy call. Let's talk. We'll get you started. Um, of course, head over to First Form if you need any supplements. That is firstform.com slash firstform.com/slash/tailored-coaching-method. And last but not least, all of our free content you can check out on the, uh, on the tailoredcoachingmethod.com page we have the blog we have videos we have podcast free guides tons of different stuff go to the youtube channel subscribe there we got a lot of stuff for you guys so as always we appreciate you and we'll catch you next time